Tonight's show is sponsored by Other Team Solutions. Princeton's rescuing while you're going after the dragon in another county? Need Imperial Starship sabotage while you're busy seeing the base plans? Elder God looking to devour the souls of a small town far away? When your adventuring party has gone after the main plot, you need someone to help resolve the subplots. We aren't the best of the best. We're not even the best of what's left. But we are the other team, and we've got nothing better to do. So, go stop the bad guy, knowing that the other team is doing their best to handle plots left in the background. That's Other Team Solutions, getting something done while you're busy. Other Team Solutions not responsible for cataclysmic follow-up from your party prioritizing the wrong plot hook. This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast. A podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. So, welcome to the 495th episode of the Misdirector Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss living campaigns in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. I'm Chris. And I'm Severus Snape. Are you, are you okay? Cat? Maybe not. Alan Rickman is rolling in his grave right now. I don't think Alan Rickman. Is You're like some creepy right toxic guy. Alan Rickman is Severus creepy. Snape was no, actually a quality human being. Severus Snape was a double agent, man. I thought he like, I thought he was like, 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 I haven't seen all the movies, but I thought he was like creepily like stalking his ex wannabe girlfriend's no, little they were, kid. They were friends, they were okay. And then, and then he wasn't, he was keeping an eye on him and pushing him because he. Had to protect him and hated him at the same time. Ah, okay. Because every time he looked at him, he saw Lily. Yeah, right. But he was like also a toxic relationship. He was also a double agent working for the good guys. Okay, because he also hated Voldemort. He ah. who shall not be because named. Voldemort killed Lily. Yeah, I mean so he's I, a very complicated character. Yes, yeah, very. I got as far as book five, and that's about as far as I. And not that they're bad. They just that that, that just, was my. I just spoiled the shit out of a lot of stuff in Harry Potter, but it's that's been okay. A while, They've only so. been out for like twenty yeah. years. I've so. seen bits and pieces of the last couple of movies, so I, I I know that like I know that like Harry wins. I mean, <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, and, and he ends up marrying Jenny the Rina. redhead. So uh, that that much Jenny? I know. Yeah. Yes, Ginny. So now that, that we're done spoiling Harry Potter for a lot of people, <laughs> yes. Let's do the temperature check, Bob. How are you hey, feeling? I'm. I feel pretty good, Chris. I'm. I'm good after. I'm actually having a, a pretty good laugh after our failed first attempt at doing the show intro. That was pretty funny. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Can't change anything on Bob, otherwise he'll freak out. <laughs> <laughs> just be nice if everybody knew what we were doing. Look, man, I missed a thing, okay? My bad. I missed changing like one word. Jerry, all, how are all you? All you have to do, Bob, was read your lines. <laughs> you don't have to read my lines. Just read my lines. Listen, I am <laughs> not some like, Ron read... Burgundy only read the stuff on the screen. And... So what you're saying is you're not Phil who's not here again this week. Yes. You're you're Henry Winkler instead. So Yeah, okay. Yeah. How, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm having a good day. I'm Tired for some reason, but but this is but I'm like full of energy now, so I'm good. Yeah, I'm yeah. exhausted today. I had a cup of coffee and a coke. I think and it's I'm just dying. For for me, it's the sinuses with the weather here in Buffalo. It was uh like 85 degrees on Sunday, and it was 32 this morning. Yeah, so that kind of massive pressure change just messes with my allergies. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that I'm like in a bad shape. I just I've just been tired all day. Yeah, um, me too. I got to this take show, a good nap this afternoon. This so. show always gives me energy, so I'm yeah, good. me too. Uh, let's do some announcements real quick then. Mm-hmm. So the big announcement is that we're going on break, but dot, 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 you get a bunch of off-the-cuff episodes while we're off. Yeah. So you'll have an off-the-cuff episode next week, and then we will be back for one more recording, and Phil will be here for that, and then we'll be taking a break for a month and a week, so for five weeks. But like I said, there'll be episodes and content every week yep. while we're gone. So you won't recording. Yeah, you won't, because we, we do batch recordings now. We're planning yeah. ahead. <gasps> Brian, what? Anyway. So there you go. 
that is what's going on. Uh, okay, let's move on with the main segment. Workshop, workshop. It's the workshop. We're going to make this setting alive. We're going to let it breathe. We're going to let it just mellow on through and change and shift and do what it has to do in the workshop. And we're not going to suck. And hey, do me a favor out there. Don't suck. Yes. Oh, man. This is what you get when Phil's not around. Yeah, to Phil's do not the around. <laughs> Remember, I'm the smooth jazz guy, so I had to be like, chill smooth about it. Smooth jazz. So for tonight's discussion, we are dealing with events that are happening in the rest of the world while the PCs are on their adventures. This can be local events, regional events, worldwide events, or even stellar and extra planner events. Any kind of event, really. You want to throw a natural disaster in there, whatever it happens to be. But there are things that happen during the time of the adventure. And my first conscious experience with this idea came from the adventures from the early 80s from a company called The Companions that had a series of modules that I've discussed before. And while each module could be played separately and each adventure could be played separately, things were going on in the adventure and outside of the adventure, and stuff advanced if the players didn't interact with it. And so it gave me kind of a hint of the idea that in a role-playing game, while the players are doing their thing, there's stuff going on in the rest of the world that will continue to go on regardless of what they do unless they directly interfere with it. It's like a good template. We started talking about the fact that that works very well, and in Chris's present campaign, there's a lot of that shit going on. There's a lot good. of that shit And it's going good. On. So we decided to talk about it. First question is, what are the things that make our settings and campaigns move outside of the characters? And, and can I make a, a statement first about this? Yeah. When it comes to tabletop role-playing games, I think it's a good idea for a lot of epic fantasy-styled stuff that the player characters, they're the main characters, but they don't necessarily have to be the most important characters in the setting. They're not the most important characters in the setting. They're only the most important characters in the story being told. Correct. If you start thinking of things that way, then it's okay to let all this other stuff happen outside of them. Now, and it can impact the setting and what's going on. But their decisions and their moves and, and the stuff should definitely impact their story and the settings surrounding them. But that doesn't mean that other things can't be going on. I mean, if you look at Lord of the Rings, I mean, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are running around doing all sorts of really cool shit. And in some ways, some of the stuff they're doing might be more interesting. But Frodo and Samurai are still the most important ones. They've got the big task that has to be done in that story. Well, if I'm going to break this into a role-playing game analogy, yeah, yeah. like those are two groups of player characters yes. that couldn't play on the same night, right? So we have two different yep. games going on. There you go. There's now, actually a great webcomic about that exact thing. Yeah. Now, but there are other characters that do things and other things that are happening in that game while that's going on. Like, I don't think of Gandalf as being a player character, but he's taking action in the background constantly. Oh, definitely, definitely. I don't think of uh, the Riders of Rohan as being like the player characters, but they are doing stuff in the background. Definitely an NPC group. Mm -hmm. yep. When they show up on the battlefield at Minas Tirith, that is a bunch of NPCs showing up to help out, right? Yes. There, there are all kinds of things like that going on in the background, right? Like, like Wormtongue. Like, what happens if the player characters never show up in Rohan? Wormtongue probably just gets that king dead and turns everything to ash out in Rohan, right? Yeah. If, if that happens, Minas Tirith falls. Correct. That's oh, that yeah. is correct. But uh, the king in Minas Tirith too, like they're doing things too while uh, while all this bad stuff is going on, and uh, Faramir is also taking action. Yep. And he's an, to me, he's an NPC in that story too, that is yes. doing things outside of what the player characters are doing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that, that are going on until the player characters run into them. Right. And then they can impact the setting. But until then, those things are, those NPCs are doing stuff until that happens. Exactly. Making moves, making changes. Mm -hmm. I think 
some of the other things that help make the setting and campaign move outside of the characters is thinking about, I mean, we were going to talk about geopolitics tonight, but then we got a little bit broader with this topic, but the geopolitics of your setting actually can help with a lot of that. Yes. What are the different countries and the different setups doing for your setting and how do they interact with each other outside of what the player characters are doing? Mm-hmm. They can actually create plot hooks and stories that, that go on and impact with the char- what is happening with the characters. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of that? Or do you want me to drop one? I mean, look at things like the core adventure that comes with the original Eberron setting. You tell me. I can't remember. You've got House Caneth. Yep. Who are kind of the patrons of the player characters that are also running that are also running their own little scheme in the background. And then you've got the Order of the Emerald Claw, which are the main villains in the campaign, but they're also pulling strings in the background so that some of the side stories that go on don't involve them, but they're still making moves in the background. In fact, when the player characters finally get a couple of the MacGuffin pieces, between adventures, the Emerald Claw managed to steal and copy one of them so that now there's still a race to get the, the, the MacGuffin pieces all together at the very end. While they're an adversary, there's also other groups in the background making things. And of course, depending on the makeup of your party, the other houses are going to be making moves as well. So if you're not running your game week to week and, and like planning your game week to week, I mean... Yeah, uh, I don't have anything planned for next week, but I have, you, know, like, you have an actual plan for like what's going on in the world. And the MacGuffin Hunt's a great example of this. If the players are going to get certain pieces, like they can probably choose which pieces they want to go get. Right. And while they're doing that, other organizations can go buy for those other pieces. Yes. Now, as oh, a game, yeah. yeah, as a game master, you can decide how that goes, but you can just look at your setting, how things are set up, and decide what is the most reasonable path for that to happen mm-hmm. so that when it does happen and you tell the player characters like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And you do have to see a little bit of that stuff or like your rumors or things like that or, or not. Right. Like all of a sudden they find out, Hey, we're going to go get that. Uh, we're going to go get that third piece. And somebody who's on their side, like who's, who's their handler or whatever is like, ah, uh, I think the bad guys already got it. Like, yeah. We sent a group there. We had one survivor come back. They're still a little comatose, but all yeah. they can say is the claw, <clears throat> the claw, the emerald claw. Exactly. And, and I don't think, you want to let them go on the adventure to go get that MacGuffin no. piece and then get there and find out it's gone. Correct. You don't want to go through that at all. You want no. them to get that information so that they know somebody preempted our effort. What, what actually happens is by the third or fourth published adventure, the players find out through the grapevine that while they have a couple MacGuffin pieces that much like Indiana Jones with, where Toth has the, the symbol burned on his hand mm-hmm. that, the bad guys have also gotten copies of the MacGuffin piece. And yeah. so they're running around. Whatever it is, it's it's good to simply have um, an outline of some sort. It doesn't have to be super planned out. It can just be like, this is where things are going. Mm-hmm. And have some notes on what's going to happen in your campaign. Yeah. You don't have to plan this thing out months in advance. The timeline is a good one to have. Yeah. I have timelines yeah. for my games. Yep. For, for different regions and different plot lines. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit of work and a little bit of effort. And you have to update those sometimes, but it's not a ton, not as much as you think. Like those timelines, I probably put them together uh, like 15 to 30 minutes each. Yeah. Just to be like, I know who my factions are. I know who's trying to do stuff. Mm-hmm. I know who wants what. That work right there, that's probably the most work that I do, but I'm a, I'm a front load campaign designer, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I, I prep a lot of my campaign stuff up front with motivations Yep. Yeah. for, for different factions and groups. And uh, the Archmage's Legacy campaign is based on that. And I think when you have timelines, you also have to understand as a GM, sometimes you have to be a little flexible with them because the players might end up with a really good story that you weren't planning on the player suddenly being someplace for three weeks. You thought this was going to be a go in and go out in two days thing. And if you 
have a good story going and the players are there for three weeks and your campaign is basically, well, two weeks after they go there, this happens. You might want to push that out one more week and have something happen or not. It's depending on the choices. But it's something to, to be cognizant of. You have to be of. cognizant of it, yes. What you said is 100% correct. Now, there's a different way to run that, though. Mm -hmm. If you have seeded the fact that there is a potential threat coming in a period, a short period of time, mm -hmm. then feel free to advance your plot. Yeah. Right? Because you, you made them make a choice. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that chose to do that. Yes. There can be consequences to that. I often get criticized sometimes by my players for this, that I don't give them enough time to sometimes do things until they get to the point where they realize, like, it's okay because they're not the only people that have to do things. Yeah. Which is another important thing. It's a liberating piece of information. Mm -hmm. If you if you're cognizant of all of that stuff, knowing like we aren't the only ones that have to solve all the problems. Yeah. That's something that you have to be careful of that, that that you have to be cognizant of. And your players, because when you set up that timeline, you need to be aware of the fact that if you've got a really good story going, you don't want the players to cut a good adventure and encounter down just because they feel like they have to go do something else. Go ahead. Can I provide two examples of what yeah. I'm talking about? Yes. I think it'll help illuminate what we're, what we're saying here. So in my Archmage's Legacy game, which Bob and Jerry play in, they went to Bob's Kingdom of Alvar to stop the bad guy Tanneril from basically destroying Alvar and turning everybody into Onyx bad people. While that was going on, there was another plot line going on in the background, which they could have gone and done that instead, where the dragon, there's a dragon that has one wing that has a kobold army essentially at his disposal that has those kobolds has threatened the city, said he's going to do some terrible things to the city if they don't turn over a, a particular artifact, because everybody knows that this thing's out there. So the Cobalt's plot was to plant a bunch of bombs around the city, and basically it's it's, a, it's essentially a terrorist attack, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the group, Bob and Jerry's characters, they're part of the Crosswater Adventuring Company, and the Crosswater Adventuring Company is bigger than just the four of the player characters. Mm -hmm. There's like 25 members in the Crosswater Adventuring Company, and they know these people. Some of them are like, Jerry's character's granddaughter is a part of it. Um, Bridget, who plays in that game, her brother is a part of it. We mentioned them a week ago. Their group of people went and dealt with the Cobalts. Mm -hmm. Like, they handled that problem. Now, I chose as a game master that they would handle that problem because I like the idea that there are competent people out there other than the heroes. Yeah. I can't stand when there is nobody else competent that can handle anything other than the heroes. And that's a fine line to go through because you want them to be competent. You don't want them to overshadow the heroes. Of course which, not. Which they don't. You can get into the the risk of what for me, unfortunately, was one of the things I didn't like about the event, about the Adventures League was the idea that because everybody was playing the exact same campaign adventures every week, there was this idea that if we fail, it doesn't matter because somebody else will solve the problem sure. for us. So you have to have those, you have to have consequences for actions, which mm -hmm. Chris mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. But the idea that there are competent people out there that will handle things for you when you're not there, make a huge difference. We saw that when I ran my, my fusion fantasy campaign, the players had basically, by the time they were 12 or 15 sessions in, they'd taken over a town and they'd been just using it as kind of a dumping ground for all the friendly NPCs they encountered mm -hmm. to the point that when they weren't there, something happened. And one of the player characters, low level, like one point enemies showed up in town gunning for him and went after his apprentice while they weren't there. The fact is they'd set things up so well that he basically came in the town and Put it in D and D terms, basically a like second or third level character came in the town gunning for the apprentice of like a tenth level mage, and there was a whole bunch of other people there. There was a whole bunch of other like fifth level characters there yeah. that were like, "Oh, you're looking for this person," and they just came back and found this guy sitting in jail. Sure, which we were able to use to start another storyline. That's cool, but right? they'd mm -hmm. set that up ahead of time, and so I tried to give the players the option to have this thing because they'd had a game with a lot of it was a point based game. So there was a lot of backstory and stuff that we weren't going to get involved in. So Th that's a really cool 
idea too because the player characters did stuff that affected the setting and then that setting yes. rewarded them for what they had done without yes. them being there. That's yes. also a really cool thing to do. My other example mm -hmm. is in my other game, which is the, uh, they're called the Mercenaries of Pirin because they, they're working out of a, a, city, a town called Pirin and they're trying to get an adventuring company writ. That's like their primary goal because it's hard to get an adventuring company writ in the, in the setting. They had two problems going on. There was a, a, an alliance that was trying to be formed by the Chimera people in the North Swamps and the Orc tribes to attack the city of Pirin. And then there was a young necromancer that was trying to acquire and activate the resources of the epic lich that used to live below the city of Pirin, found his basically gigantic dungeon and was making his way through it, trying to get it going and, and use its resources to attack and destroy Pirin because he hated the people there because of how they treated him. Now, I gave them a choice. Which one do you want to do? They went into the dungeon, which means my timeline for the orc thing advanced. Now, the orcs are not attacking Pirin yet, but they have missed their opportunity to go and stop the orc tribes from joining the Chimera people. Right. The orc tribes have already yes, the joined. The alliance is there now. The alliance yeah. is there now. Yeah. Like, that is the consequence for that action. And they knew that. It was well established that they had to make a choice, and probably bad things would happen either way. So when they came back up to the surface seven days later, six days later, they had this problem. But they also had other resources, because they made a bunch of friends with, like, sentient golems down in the dungeon, and the wife of the... The lich before he was a lich mm -hmm. who was still alive uh after being time locked for a while so they have like a, a pretty powerful arc artificer essentially mm -hmm. on their side with these golems so there's give and take right like you can't just punish the people for making these choices but you yes. still have to make it advance so it feels like something is happening. yeah there have yeah. to be consequences and repercussions but it, it doesn't all have to be negative correct there can also be benefits to what they did in their storyline that can help against the consequences and, and repercussions. And you also have to have the storyline moving forward in such a way that you have reasons why these characters are doing things in their own lifestyles. It's the idea of like, why were none of the Avengers helping Tony Stark and Iron Man three? Yeah. Why weren't they? I don't know. Okay. I mean, we, we assume there was stuff going on, but it was believable that all they'd already established the fact that they would all have been doing other stuff. And no, Thor was off world. Thor was off world. Banner well, was probably busy, not trying to turn into the Hulk. Banner was probably busy getting better at, at controlling himself with uh, Black Widow's help. Probably. Uh, you know, and uh, Captain America was busy dealing with the aftermath of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so on. But you, you have to have something established so that the players understand that there's reasons why they are still the ones doing, why they're that person this week. If you do that, the world feels, feels more alive. It's a setting instead of just a place for the player characters to be inside of, right? Yeah. Like, it's just a stagnant place where if... Nothing moves until I poke it. Like, exactly. I don't like that in my role-playing games. And that's fine if you do. Like, you mm -hmm. you don't have to have a complicated game, right? Like, no. it can just be like, well, here's the dungeon. It's just going to sit here until you open doors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you've got, you know, like the legend of the of the tomb of the Archlich, and there's supposed to be this big treasure in there, it's a legend. Everybody knows it. And you're like, we're going to go and we're going to check that place out. Is it not feasible that someone else has at least tried to do it? Exactly. Sure. That's where the dead body at the uh, opening comes in. Exactly. That there's a like, terrible trap. The world should be a living, breathing place uh -huh. where stuff happens. And if you're not there, the stuff's still going to happen, but it's just going to add some flavor. I'm, that I'm that gonna, is my preference. And I'm going to toss some, some suggestions out here. If you want to see how this can be done, I would say if you get a chance, look at some of the early Pathfinder adventure paths. Always did a really good job of laying out the adventure and what was going on in the world around them. But also they always had a, this is how the adventure is written. This is what's going to go on. 
Hopefully our player characters will interact with it. But if they don't, this is what's going to happen here. This is what's going to happen here. And in some cases, it says either this happens or this happens. But one of these two is going to happen based mm-hmm. on what the players do. It's good. To me, that is exceptional yeah. adventure design. And, and, and if you look at it, they tend to keep that down to half a page. It's, the, it's normally like a, 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 a typical yeah. module page under one and picture. Man, you don't need a lot. No, right? you, you, don't. you don't have to get super detailed no. unless you really, really want to. But the more detailed you get, that's like doing 60 pages worth of campaign prep before you start the game. Mm-hmm. Is it all going to get used? No. Try not to go too detailed. Bullet point yourself. Leave yourself bits and pieces, but... And you can always use those ideas later somewhere else. Yes, yes, absolutely. It also helps you as a GM when the players do throw something that you completely don't expect, and now you have to come up with a motivation or reason for something. If you've already got an idea of where the plot's going and who's doing what, then when things change and the players give you something unexpected, you already have an idea of what people's motivations are and where the story should be moving, and it's easy enough to come up with either an explanation or a quick little swerve that keeps the story on, pl- on, yeah. on point. That's why I'm, I'm pretty against writing mm-hmm. s- like plot lines and mm-hmm. more like writing scenarios. Like yeah. here's what's going on. Here's what could happen. And yep. then in- introduce player characters. And like you said, those, those two choice points are actually a great design methodology. But like Jerry said before it in the books, those pathfinder adventures, they weren't very long for us. It can even be shorter because we're writing notes for ourselves. Yeah. It can be six words. Both of those things can be six words like they're going to do this or they're going to do this because only you need to know how it works. Right. Yeah. Let's move on to the next question. So is there a difference or what is the difference between local, regional and larger events? I think it's just fractal. It's fractal and it really depends mostly on the size of your game. If your campaign is going to be focused almost entirely on these three towns, then you need to know the local events and the regional events are important and the events that are going on in the world outside of there. You still need to know that, but to be honest, unless it's going to directly impact those three towns, the battle between Bobistan and, 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 and Chrysopolis. Chrysopolis rules. <laughs> Bobistan for the win, please. Um, we already lost, you already lost that game this past week. Yeah. So if, <laughs> we're talking about fantasy football, sorry. If that's happening a thousand miles away, the players may still hear about it, but it may not directly influence the game itself. But if you know that it's important to the world at large, it's worth every once in a while having somebody mention it because that can give the players motivation. So then you can decide how important it is. But really what it comes down to is how important are the events to the campaign and then how important are the events to the setting outside the campaign. Exactly. So far, your campaign has been focused on like these three little towns that are in proximity on the coast, mm-hmm. right? Ooh. And off to the west, you've got like a big city. And then farther out west from that, there's like the Badlands where like, you know, a lot of the monster races and stuff live and everything like that. Good setting. Yeah. And you have a scenario in the background where if X happens, the uh, monster races are all going to join forces and they're going to march on that city. And if certain things happen, somebody doesn't get to that city in time from your campaign area for whatever reason. Somebody like a messenger is supposed to carry some very vital piece of information that came in from the port. And they don't get there. And so the defenses of the city aren't ready. The monster races override the date. They, they, they overrun the city and they start marching east. Now it becomes a problem for you guys mm-hmm. because you've got a horde that's coming for you. Yeah. Whereas if the defenses are ready in the city, maybe they hold them off and, you know, everything's cool. So there's ways that you can build those things so that the larger world mm-hmm. could potentially have an impact. So this is fascinating because you just you just basically set up a geo, <coughs> geopolitical situation. Didn't I? 
There is a city. There are three towns. There's a coastline. There's a Badlands. There's a monster horde in the Badlands. Yep. If that monster horde even just marches on that city and sieges it, that's going to disrupt trade in the area. That mm-hmm. means everything for these poor three towns out here is going to get worse. Yep. Uh, prices are going to go up. Um, yeah. Farmers and peasants and people like that are going to starve, and people might resort to banditry at that point. Even if they win, bad things can happen. Yes. In in the area, long term, like and yep. that's a thing that you can think about in your game. Like, yeah, we won, but why is it that bread now costs twice as much to to, to make because the city needed to absorb a bunch of the resources in the area to help siege up against the, the enemies. Also, even if they siege that city, that means that army will probably swarm around it and start taking the resources from the farmlands near the towns that are in the back. So yeah. even if there's a siege, they'll still be, instead of a horde, just still dealing with like patrols and groups rampaging around. Yep, it's, it's really an interesting idea for how that progresses. You're essentially yeah. fighting a war, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a war. Mm-hmm. And there, there are things to think about with that. Um, also, you have the ocean. So on the bright side, at least you have, as long as you keep the the, the sea there, you have a, a vital source of food and, and whatnot because you can fish it. And you have to keep that in mind too because it makes, like if, if the focus of your campaign isn't supposed to be about the war, you need to have reasons why the players aren't getting involved. If this army attacks the, the city, what's going on in that city and why aren't the monsters just rampaging through the towns afterwards? You need to have that idea in mind with your world. We're going to fall back on this real quick to uh, one of the off the cup things we talked about is running games in established worlds. Sometimes that can be a hindrance because you need to, to make the, everything go logically within your own game systems. You can design things to work the way you need them to. I'm going to tell you, if you don't want the focus of your game to be that war and this is the region, then don't have the war happen. Exactly. Like that's yep. not there. If you happen to have that war happen, it's got to be a part of the game. Yeah. Your people live there. They keep their stuff there. It's going to be important. I would imagine all the people they know live there. What I'm saying though, like if the players come to the game and they're, they're expecting to do like coastline adventures and dungeon delving and dealing with the townspeople there and stuff. And all of a sudden this war occurs nearby. You need to also be upfront with your players that this is kind of what the game's about. Yeah. You should do that in session zero for sure. Yes. yes. Uh, <clears throat> playing a game about a, a, an invading horde. Deal with it. Uh, I mean, if, if yeah. as, like that's the point of this, this campaign, that's my idea. Oh, we were hoping for dungeon delving and like piratey adventures and things like that. I'm like, all right, I won't do the war then. Yeah. That's I'll just a, have a, a bunch of pirate captains making problems along the coast. Instead like, of a horde of monster races from west, it's suddenly a group of Sahuagin and uh, seafaring monsters that are assaulting the coast. From the east. Yes, sure, exactly. sure. Why not? Right? Exactly. Surprise! And, and that's why it's important to have that. You can you can seed all that in your adventure and give kind of the hints of what's going on. It also gives you a chance if you're prepping it ahead of time to listen to the players and how their characters react to whatever news and rumors you're dropping in about what's going on. Also, the Sahagan and the whatnot in the ocean, they have a very different effect on the geopolitical climate of the Absolutely. region. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, now we can't fish everything really well. Here's Good. another thought, all right? So you sit down and you're like, I've got this idea where we can do this thing with the war and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the players are all like, well, we want to do like a bunch of, you know, localized stuff, some seafaring, coastline stuff, some dungeon delving. It's like, you know, the war really wasn't something that we, you know, had in our sights as as something that we really wanted to hit during the course of this campaign. It's like, cool. Okay, that's good. That does not mean that you can't seed certain things and dangle some bait and then see what the players do with it. Because they may decide after a certain NPC gets harassed that's like one of their good buddies or something like that. Because everybody here knows, if you've listened to the Misdirected Mark podcast before, we've talked about how the players will jump on things that you had absolutely no expectation. Exactly. All of a sudden, that bartender that was just there for flavor 
becomes the most important NPC in the city to these people, and they yep. will move hell or high water to help that person. So you start seeding things here and there from some of the other plot lines that you may have had in the back of your head, and they might jump on something and be like, hey, and all of a sudden they're interested in this, this secondary storyline that could open up something else that they weren't even expecting themselves. I got, I, I mean, there's a campaign thread here that you can actually, and we're, I'm no. going to diverge for a second because yeah. I think this is fun. I like these exercises. Mm -hmm. So you have the Sahagin, right, that are now yeah. raiding and they have maybe some piratey allies that are, uh -huh. that are human that are working for the gold and whatnot with them. And it's nice to have these allies that can use the, the waterways and whatnot and give them bases to use. The real point is the Sahagin are kidnapping people so that they can use them in a giant sacrifice to raise their god, which if they raise their god, it's not just the god of the Sahagin, it's the god of like all monstrous races, which is the event that would actually get all the people in the Badlands to get together and assault the city. Because they're not really assaulting the city. They feel like the city and the humans are in the way of them getting to the coast to stop the Sahagin god and, and all those gods from actually like rolling in and taking yeah. over the world. And now there's like factions, right? Like, and you're just between a rock and a hard place as, exactly. as adventurers and you're pivotally in the middle of it all. So your first story arc is this piratey dealing with the Sahagan and their, their evil temple that's under the water that you have to go dungeon delve into. And when you get there, if, if you can even partially stop, it might keep the eight underwater adventures. Uh, you just put them in the <laughs> You car. really, you got to do, you got to be careful. With yeah. Them. Yeah. But uh, once once that arc is over, then it could be the monster races getting together in the Badlands and massing together as your second story arc. Because like you gave them the piratey adventure, and you're like, all right, that arc's over. Mm -hmm. What do you guys want to do now? And you have seeded, like you said, all the stuff about the fact that the other monstrous races are diametrically opposed to this god rising yeah. up because for whatever reason, maybe I'm not sure if we could figure it out later. Yeah. But they have a reason now to come here, run it's, overrun it's, you, and get there. I always think about. The first adventure of Rise of Tiamat, where the players come up over the hill and see the town of whatever town Green it was. Greenhilt or whatever. Yeah, Greenfield. Whatever Greenfield. Be, be, being attacked by the green dragon. Just walk away. And the party I was in, yep, we're like, well, fuck no. And we just started around like, 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 that's a dragon, dude. I'm not that, going there. That, that's a dragon. <laughs> I don't know any of these people. I have no reason to be here. We're leaving. And the GM didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, it cajoled us to go back in. Then we got to the city and the adventure is written so that like none of the NPCs are sympathetic npcs why are we that's, staying here that's poor it's, look man poor it's, design. A, it's it's a bad adventure to, to to reference it's a bad adventure yeah but i'm saying it's something that, that to think about though because you need to have stakes in this if you're going to have a big geopolitical system you've got to make the players care about the game mm -hmm. you've got to give them reasons to care you don't make them you give them reasons to care yes. about the world give them reasons to care about your story and keep seeding that in there there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of ways that we've talked about that in, yes. in yeah. previous episodes but i'm saying that's something that you got to think about consciously when you're when you're doing all this and again that's another example of you need to sit down in session zero and say mm -hmm. are you going to be heroes yeah mm -hmm. is this a heroic campaign are mm -hmm. you going to help people mm -hmm. because if you're like you guys are heroic and you're going to be doing heroic type things yep and then you hit the top of that hill and you see the green dragon beating on greenfield and everybody goes oh shit dragon no way Mm -hmm. Hey, um, are you, are you not heroes? Right. Go, go be heroic. <laughs> Here's your inspiration points. And, and keep giving them reasons to be heroes and give them emotional rewards for being heroes. If you see terrible NPCs, NPCs that are just not well-written to just be jerks to anybody, just change them, please. Yeah. Yes. That'll help a yeah, lot. Absolutely. And, oh. and, it, and if you as a player are having issues, like you're like, you know, I don't feel like anybody in this town appreciates us. Let the GM know that too, because sometimes the GM thinks they're playing a sympathetic character. And for some reason it's coming off as as a negative to the players. Yeah. I've, I've played in those games where the GM thought they were doing a great job and couldn't figure out why the players hated all of their NPCs. Well, I think we're a little off topic. No, but it comes back. Just a little, yeah. Well, it's, it's about seeding. What I think we come back to is we want to seed that kind of stuff. Sure, so, but seeding is not about, the seeding is about, in this particular case, is, is about things that happen outside of what the players are doing. Yeah. Not mm -hmm. what the players are actually involved in. Right. 
Like you do need to seed those rumors and ideas and you can do it a lot of different ways. For instance, I had Bob's sister send him letters. Yeah. There was just stuff going on in Alvar. They weren't there and they were learning about it. Um, so you used a sympathetic NPC. Correct. And you gave him a reason to care about what was going on. Well, it's his, his homeland that yeah. he built himself. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, but what I'm saying is you gave him a reason to care about. He gave himself a reason okay. to care, which that's, is the same thing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying though. You, you want to make sure to find out what the player characters are going to care about and tie that back into the geopolitical or the, the, the living world. Well, that's, that's when you can motivate them. Yeah. That's how you motivate them. Like you can have these things moving around in the background, but then you have to find a way to motivate them to do something with it. Yep. At some point. That's a good way to get back to the, the actual point of this. Let's talk about the next question, which is how much to keep in the background at one time. I'm actually not sure what the answer to this question is because I will spin many plates if I want to. Yeah. Th- this is one of those things that's like, how much prep should I do? How much fun is it for you is the yeah. question. And how much can your players pay attention to? That'll be now, important. You could have as many plates spinning in the background as you want, but if the players are, are constantly only referring to one or two of them, those are the ones you want to make sure to keep bringing up unless they're not important. Not only that, but that means that your players are probably only attentive enough to pay attention to one or two things. Yeah. Yep. Because I've had players that have paid attention to like four things. Yeah. I think three is a good number for me. Usually yeah. for, for the players, it's for me. I usually have six. That's why I said- But I'm weird. That's <laughs> why I said two to four is manageable, but it also depends on the number of players. When I was running my game with eight players, there was lots of stuff going on because every character had ties to different things. Yeah. There were a couple of really big ones, like what were the three main city-states doing in the background? Why was this particular army bent on killing the player characters over and over again? That sort of thing was important, but also there were the little things going on. What's going on is going to depend on how much fun you're, like you said, how much fun are you having with it? Because sometimes you can just have stuff going on in the background that you mention, and the players might, it might never actually encounter the players, but it helps to build the world, and it's interesting to you. And, and that makes a difference. It, it needs should. to be a balance of what your players can handle and what you can handle. I mean, everything should impact the campaign at some point or another, or else why are you doing it? You're doing it because it's fun for you. Yeah. It doesn't matter unless it comes to the table, right? Right. It doesn't, it doesn't play a role unless it impacts in even a small way at the table. I'm like a five to six things going on in the background at one time person, but only like two or three of them are relevant. And it's also fun to, to seed them out there for the players because players may grab onto something you don't expect. Yeah. And it's about, you have these ideas if you need them. Yep. That's a thing that I always think about. Like I have a thing in the background if I need it. And sometimes I bring it to the forefront if that's the story arc that I want to like focus on for a little while. Or mm-hmm. if that's a story arc that the player characters latch onto. Yeah. Like that is a thing. So how do you have conflicting events so that the players can make choices? We, we talked about that a little bit already. I, I yeah. provided a pretty interesting example about that yeah. with the uh, dungeon below and the person that wanted to destroy the city of Pirin, the town of Pirin, yep. the economic hotspot of Pirin, and the orcs and the chimeras getting together to attack Pirin. Yeah. Because, you know, sacking Pirin would be great for them because then they could just take it. Like, they, yeah. not just sack it, but uh, occupy it. Because then it's a, they have the economic hotspot, which is their, their goal. Does anybody have anything else they want to say about that particular one? I mean, you've got uh, in the notes, tying it into the character background. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like that makes, anytime you tie stuff to the character backgrounds, you're doing everyone a service. Yep. Because the more it's connected, the easier it is to get the players to bite and the more invested they'll be in something. If it's completely random, they may or may not. It can be super detailed, like, you know, your character's brother is from this area, or it could be something as simple as one of the player characters has decided to pick up an affectation that they really like Vecchio and Brandy. <laughs> and Purin happens to be the place where Vecchio and Brandy is made. It's very Scottish. And if they take the city, you're not going to really get any more Vecchio and Brandy. You have no idea how much that will motivate certain player characters. Oh, hell yeah. I'm not trying to make light of it. 
sometimes that's all it takes to get the players invested. Yeah, it's whatever they're whatever they yeah. they care about, right? And the thing the other thing I will always t- say though is when you when you set up one of these things that players are going to get involved in, always be prepared for the fact that they may solve it faster than you expect, and there's nothing wrong with that. They may come up with a solution. They may have been paying attention to your campaign world more than you expect, and suddenly they come up with an idea like, hey, if we do this and this and this, we can solve this problem much easier with some other things that are going on in the world. And that's okay. They're basically involving themselves in your world as well, which is fun for the GM. Yeah. And I agree. You do something different. Well, next question. How do you track background events? I have Google Docs. Google Docs is how I do it, and I use timelines. Yeah, that's this the is best way for flavor me, of the week yeah. by by GM choice. Yep. Yeah. You know, Phil Just, would use OneNote. Yep. I like Google Docs, three by five cards during the game. The one thing I do like when I'm playing in front of players is I like those little dry erase three by five cards. And if I bring up a topic, I'll write a three by five card and I'll just put it on the table so the players can remember that it's there. Man, I don't do any of that. I probably should, uh, based on how I run games. Uh, you did that really well with the NPCs that we Yeah, that's NPCs. NPC yeah. names are hard for people yeah. to remember. <clears throat> but it just it, it's a good idea when something comes up and somebody mentions something. But the other thing that'll sometimes happen is you have an event going on in the world and the players will ask a lot of questions about it that you're just making up on the fly. Mm-hmm. And while it's good to keep those notes in your, in your one note, if you also toss them down on the table or, or say, you know, uh, write this down, have somebody write it down for you on the table. Number one, you can collect those notes at the end of the game. I have a jury for that, <laughs> but you also, yes, <laughs> yeah. but you also have people, <laughs> but you also think yeah, that's true. Uh, we do have our running document, but you also have the fact that the players are going to be looking at it and reading it and such. And, some players are visually motivated, and so as soon as they see something, they're gonna they're gonna refer back to it. That's something that they can play with now. It's mm-hmm. true. It's I don't do a very good job of that because I'm busy running the game. It's it's yeah. like me stopping my flow to go to that. That's why I don't do it. By the way, you you also have a game that that's running on on multiple levels. So I mean, yeah, I guess. No, it, it, I mean, it is. It is. It is. It is. You've got a lot of plates spinning in the background mm-hmm. that things are going on. So that's why if I started dropping those cards. It could it could possibly wreck some of that stuff that's going on. It's also not a bad idea, though, if you've got players in the game that are doing that sort of thing. Like, no, I mean, like, let you guys figure it out. Like when we play um, Nights Black Agents, like Glenn is taking meticulous notes. Oh, yeah. I'm taking little odd notes as we go as well on our Miro board. And I know that Glenn goes back in after the fact and corrects them all. And then Phil goes in and reads them. And we'll do things like you know, change name spellings and that kind of stuff. But multiple players taking notes, sometimes you'll grab different ideas. Yeah. And then the GM can go back in and go, Shit, did I actually say that? Cool, great. That's a good idea. We're going to keep working with that. <laughs> but as a GM, also, yeah. you definitely need to be aware, and all the other players mm-hmm. too, that there may be a player at your table, me, who can't take notes for shit. Yep. If I stop to write down something, I miss whatever's happening now while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I just focus on what's going on. That's me too. Yeah. I do that too. That's so if, if you have a player like that, then A, don't expect them to provide some of the notes and B, make sure that, that everybody's, you know, like sharing to, to keep that player in the loop on something that, that they may not have remembered or, or missed or something. That's a big thing is having notes that can be referred back to by the players. Um, I love my recaps. Yeah. Not everybody, mm-hmm. not everybody in the, in the group is going to have those skills. I'll be honest. I lean heavily on Glenn. I take notes on things that I think are important. Or if I see Glenn's in the middle of doing something and not writing, I'll take a note down. Mm-hmm. But I rely on Glenn to take most of the notes for Night's Black Agents because he's good at it. 
even when I'm taking notes, I can see he's taking notes. So it's oh, yeah. He's obviously enjoying it. It's doing. something he enjoys doing. Find, yeah. find your note taker. Yeah. That's a good one yeah. to have. Reward, uh, I think, reward I think, them. <laughs> I think recaps are really good yep. yes. for that. For, for, that's for your players, right? For the game master, I like I said, it's flavor of the week. Bob already mentioned one note. I use Google Docs. I like timelines. I like knowing what my uh, factions or bad guys are doing. Mm-hmm. I have my, their motivations all laid out and whatnot. I think that's probably good for that one for tracking background events. Yeah. I think these next two questions go together. Yeah, which they, is, yeah, they definitely go together. How do you make them part of the larger campaign and how do you blend them into the adventure and how do you hint or foreshadow yes. at them? Mm-hmm. Which there is a number, a number of ways to do this, a ton of them. Yeah. So for instance, with Bob's character in Alvar, I had his sister write letters. Yep. That, sympathetic NPC. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or even a non-sympathetic NPC. That, yeah, absolutely. That is a way to do it. Another thing, I had a character straight up say, I want to hire you to come do a thing. Yep. <laughs> that has to do something with the, the overarching plot. The duke mm-hmm. of one of the countries was like, I'm an artificer and I got a spell jam and I want you to come to space with me because I know you're all competent. Yes. Yeah. Because they're competent. They, they've established themselves a reputation. Jared did a thing in one of the online games we played. We were playing the, the quest RPG, which is an interesting system. And we basically played employees of a newspaper. Oh, that's interesting. And he opened every session with the kid on the corner calling out the headlines. Yeah, the the newspaper barker. That's cool. So, you know, like, you know, extra, extra, you know, such and such break in at at this location of this thing and something was stolen or whatever, like, and stuff like that, which is a clever way to impart some of the information sometimes. I like the idea of rumor mills. Rumor mills is great too. Um, If you've got the, the player characters happen to have an established area that they that they live or stay near that has mm-hmm. a couple of gossip mongers one thing you could also do is not just toss in gossip and rumors about the world at large once in a while have the player's own exploits show up as one of the rumors uh-huh. that'll get them really paying attention to what's going yeah. on um the drunk at the bar that they all hang out they you all hang out at this one tavern and a drunk starts spewing out a bunch of stuff from over in a corner and you're like wait did he just say lich what <laughs> like what wait a minute Look, um, this is where regional events can play into this too, and Mm -hmm. local events. Little Jimmy went missing, and his sister uh, Jasmine—they were out in the out in the woods, and they haven't come back. That's an event that foreshadows something else that's going on potentially. They're sitting in town, and you know they're always going to the bakery because the the baker there always makes really good muffins, and this week there's no muffins. Why? Well, we haven't gotten any wheat in two weeks. Yeah, there you go. There was a routine patrol from the local uh, garrison, and they found a dead ancient dragon in a field two miles to the north yeah nobody saw it happen why yep. is there a dead dragon sitting in the field yeah. two miles to the north that ancient dragon yeah. yeah we're not going out there anytime soon <laughs> our uh our three towns near the coast yep a ship comes into port and says you know wow did you guys hear about the thing that happened out uh-huh you know? yeah there's so there's tons so of ways many out. ways to do it yeah the basic idea is you need to deliver information to the characters that they don't necessarily need to act on right away, or yes. they could act on right away. Mm-hmm. That is how you foreshadow this stuff, and then eventually give them something to act on so that it becomes part of the actual campaign. Yeah. You want, you want to see rumors and, and hints and stuff um, in such a way that the players don't drop what they're doing to go solve this next problem. Mm-hmm. Especially if the story that you've got them on, the hook that you're trying to get them to go on, is, is more vital right now. But also be cognizant that depending on what they've encountered so far and yeah. who they're sympathetic to, they may very well just all of a sudden drop everything they've got and be like, we have to go over here. Yep. Exactly. That's yep. a thing. Because yep. players will do that shit. Yes. <laughs> it's going to happen. 
Man, it happens to every game master at least uh-huh. once. Where like you say something that you don't intend them to deal with right now, and they just are like, "Oh, let's go do this thing." And I'm like, "Oh man, that is not what I meant for that." Oh, I don't have anything for this. I was just a rumor. I I've heard so many game master stories that that has happened to them yep. at least once, maybe twice, usually more. It's like, "Oh God, what do I do now?" Yeah, learn how to improvise at that point. And and, and there's nothing wrong with telling the player character the, the player is like, you know what? I didn't have anything planned for that yet. Give me five minutes to put something there, or just say, you know, I didn't have anything planned for that yet. Yeah, we'll follow up on it. And a good group of players are going to go, oh, okay, we'll come back to that next session. Yeah, you can do yeah. that too. Yeah. If you've got, and if your GM says that to you as a player, just give them a break and come back to it. Yeah. Number one, it'll be much better for all of you when they've got, you know, five minutes to prep this thing um, as you go. Or, so, or a week. Or a week. <laughs> Unless so. you have one of those GMs that when they make shit up off the cuff, it's always amazing. I feel you like never I'm, know. I'm like eight of ten on that one. I think I've run entire campaigns that way. Where there was a campaign, but that campaign established itself about an hour ahead of time. That was about it. As yeah, the, yeah. the game went, those things happen. Yeah, like, that is a completely different topic. Um, All right. I hope you all enjoyed this topic. Yeah. This is the idea of the living, breathing setting in yep. your campaign, and yeah. I think it helps make the world feel a little bit more grounded. Makes the world seem alive. Yeah, alive. It's so weird to talk about it that way. It makes sense, but it always. Like the world is alive. The well, setting isn't just for us. <laughs> well, how often have you ever seen a show or, to, or or a book or something where it feels like the only thing going on in the world is what's happening to the characters right now versus when you have a book or a series or something on that line where there's a story going on here, but every time the story ends, you get a feeling there's something bigger going on. Dresden Files, for example. You know, there's something going on in mm-hmm. Dresden Files in the background. Yeah. Even though I've only read the first three books, but even that I know I'm like, there's stuff going on in that world that hasn't been touched on. You know that feels good. My favorite moment in stories like that and in, in tabletop role-playing games is when the characters transition from being, and they're the main characters, but they're involved, but like tangentially or not like completely in all of the great world-spanning events or setting events that are like pushing everything around and then become involved in them. All the stuff has led active up to- Active involvement. Yeah, the, the active yeah. involvement because everything they've been doing is like dealing with like symptoms or problems or whatever- uh, and they finally become noticed by whatever is really yeah, going on in the They've been skating world. around on the periphery and all of a sudden they become embroiled in the actual big plot with the villain. Yeah. And like, whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about another show in the Misdirected Mark Network before we move on to the round table. Bob, tell me about one. Hey, there is a show called Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. All right. If you're a Dark Sun fan, this is your show. Jesse and Robert, they go deep dives monthly into the Dark Sun setting across all the editions of D&D, um, and they, they get in there. Uh, so if you're, a, if you're a Dark Sun fan... You want to talk about some moles? Let's talk about some moles. Moles? I don't know how to pronounce that word. Yeah. It's, it's moles because it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a, a, a pastiche of mule. Which is <clears throat> very derogatory for yeah. those poor half-dwarves. Yes, well, it was, you know... I mean, it's it, Dark it was, Sun. Dark Sun's a terrible setting. Yes. I mean, not terrible and like bad, but terrible and like it's awful to live there. Yes. Yeah. The burnt world of Athos. I love me a good sorcerer king. We have a question now. And that question is, we're going to talk about a game or two that we played in where the GM had the world feel like it was moving with or without the characters making choices. I'm not going to talk very long because I've been talking about it all day. Yes, you have. The Archmage's Legacy game that we play has it everywhere. It's just everywhere in that game. Yeah. Okay. All over. You, you heard me ramble about it for like 45 minutes. I'm good. Let's go. Who's Check. next? I'll say the by the game I've talked about a couple of times, my my long spanning D and D game, the the Magelands game, where we had 
everything from what the players were focused on as their little storyline to the overarching campaign story to what the three main city states were doing in the background mm -hmm. and how the players got involved in the politics and things that were happening behind them so that when they did decide to do something different, when they decided to take an adventure I wasn't expecting, when they ran off to go follow the ghost dog and the army passed them by. Ghost dog. What was the army, what was the ghost dog, what was the army doing for, you know, an entire month while they were gone or however long it took them? I just love that there was an army chasing down like five player characters or seven, 10 players. 16. 16 characters. There's an 16. army for 16 people. Yeah. It's this silly. Yeah. <laughs> they killed off the son the, of the king. Oh, look, man, I get it. Mm -hmm. I, I understand, but it's like just, it's just, it's just fun. funny to think of a marching army like chasing them down. It, it, it was like three or 400 people. It wasn't like tens of thousands. Sure. But, I mean, yeah, it's like a battalion still, then yeah. or a small battalion. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know actually know what the sizes are for something like that. I don't know. All, all, all I know is that I thought that when the players got away that that was going to be the end of that, that they were going to go back to the city and deal with this and raise it. Instead, they just hunted the army down and started picking them off bit by bit over the course of like two game sessions to me it's funny that the the bad guys didn't send out like messenger pigeons or whatnot to all all the corners of the kingdom to be like be on the lookout for these 16 people and 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 kill them arrest them beat them destroy them whenever you see them that would have been a smarter thing for them to do they also weren't on the best i mean they just lost their their crown prince mm -hmm. and the player characters were they were kind of in the area where that nobody ruled so they weren't in the kingdom where the army was the army was running around chasing them oh man i was because the thing is about the bounty hunters that could have been out there looking for him and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. Most of the bounty hunters by this point were smart enough not to go after the player characters. Oh, man, you just need better bounty hunters. <laughs> we, we, dealt with, we dealt with this in... <laughs> we, dealt, we, we need a better we, class we, of bounty hunter. We, we dealt with this in Fusion Fantasy where we got to a point where they were having an issue because there was a bounty on the players' heads, but it wasn't high enough to hire the kind of bounty hunters that could actually take them down. Because they had hit the bad guy so hard in the pocketbook several times. Oh, that, see, that, that's a good, we, we, we took action and yes. now you can't do yeah. a thing that and you it got to the do. And it got to the point, I mean, there were still bounty hunters showing up, but they were the kind of bounty hunter. They weren't getting Boba Fett. They were getting Greedo, you know? That's unfortunate. And, it's a good thing the ghost dog didn't get involved. Then it would have been a Bow Wow Bounty Hunter. Oh. You're oh, welcome. I broke was, Jerry. Jerry can't even deal with that one. I'm just it's like, beautiful. dad joke's al Woof. alive, yes. man. But anyway, it, it was fun to toss that out there and keep the players involved. And yeah. that was when I started doing a lot of, I, again, I had two really good note takers at the game uh -huh. Yeah, and with eight and yes, eight was too many player characters, but with eight player characters, there were enough plots and subplots that we were able to keep it going. And the thing is with eight player characters who all had at least one NPC at attached to them, it also meant they could do a lot of things that weren't just dungeon crawling. Sure. Most yeah. of their adventures were city negotiation, digging up things, challenging gods with love and that kind of stuff. You're, so. you're a very nice game master, by the way. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, I would have started killing NPCs left and right. Oh, he's an, he's Chris NPCs, has more of a mean streak. These though. NPCs were all, were, were all really good drama. Plus, I couldn't kill the kobold off. Not that I wasn't trying. I literally couldn't kill the damn kobold you, off. I would have put stuff in front of them that would have pushed them to be like, oh, man, either my, my NPC that I enjoy playing with so much is going to die or i'm going to die i think it was third i guess at I'm like mean, i'm, I'm mean, at like no. third or fourth level they made the mistake of going and getting involved with like five trolls in a cave and they put the kobold in front of one of the trolls and the kobold survived the whole thing two trolls could not hit a kobold over 10 turns of combat 
till the players dragged everything else down. Huh. But he's wee. He's tiny. I once hit the kobold with a 12d6 lightning bolt and did 14 points of damage. <laughs> the kobold was unkillable. He was. Skip yeah, sewed the kobold. The unkillable kobold. He eventually became a paladin, so it worked out well for him anyway. But mm. he originally had a shield and a stick with a rock, a rock with a stick t- tied to it. That was his weapon. They eventually got him something better. That's why I always roll my dice in front of the players. Those and, are the NPCs that are the best. And it becomes a running joke because it's like, I cannot kill this freaking kobold. Yeah, um, that, that's a thing. And that became more fun that way. So that was mine. Bob? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Chris's Airy Peaks campaign. Definitely. Yeah, and I did have things moving on all Mom, over the place. It was a living, breathing place. Shocked I am. Shocked by this. Shocked, Shocked yes. I am. You, if you are a, a misdirected Mark listener for a long time, you may have heard of the Airy Peaks. <laughs> and we would go into the dungeon and find out that another adventuring party had cleared out a section. That's true. That happened all the time. Because that happened all the time. There was people coming in and out of that place constantly. I've only played in the Airy Peaks for one, I think, six game session. And mm-hmm. there was at least three background plots going on in that one that I'm aware of. That was the world building. That one's not even background plots. That's just, there are other adventurers yep. that are yeah. there and they just do stuff, right? Like you don't clear this thing out in this time. And then the, the rumor that you thought was going to be here or whatever was going to be here is not there anymore. It's something different. Yep. That just yeah. happened because yeah. that was how the Airy Peaks worked. That campaign had a lot going on and, the- then, and then I broke it by leaving. You, that was my fault. I made the mistake. I get, that's one of those moments where I'm like, you could do X or you can do Y. Please don't do Y. Please don't do Y. Please don't do Y. We're going to do Y. I, I, ah, see, that's, that's, see, it's that's, not Chris's I fault. I said I made a mistake. No, no, see, see, that, that's, that, that's, that's where, that's where sales comes in. Well, the first thing you know is that when you are offering somebody two choices, you always give them the choice that you want them to take second. Cause people who are, who are vacillating will almost always grab the second choice you give them. This wasn't, that, that wasn't It's this. like you so never you, take the first showcase gave, on the prices, right? Exactly. I gave, the showcase showdown. I gave Bob the, uh, I gave Bob the choice about the thing that was more personal to his character. My, That's my character was literally willing to walk away from the game and I was going to make a new character to keep going in with the party and adventure with the peaks. And the rest of the party was like, no, no, we'll come with you. Yeah, that and I'm happened. Like, oh shit. I didn't think they'd come with me. I didn't think they'd go so either. Walk the earth like Kung Fu or what? No, we went back to my hometown, my home kingdom to solve a problem. A a character that Bob was very close to was possessed by an evil crown and was starting a war because she was an elvish princess. So Bob was like, I'm going to go back and try to uncurse her. I need of to fix my will. girl. Of course you will. I mean, of course, that, that there, there's no question. That's, that's, yes. And all of a sudden we weren't in the Airy Peaks any longer. That's okay. We have to run into halflings. That was an entertaining moment. Oh, the halflings. Because Gorgeous. there were two halflings in the, in, in the Airy Peaks and they were both warriors. And Phil's character had never seen a halfling before. I think I've, we've told the story. Yeah, we've told before. the story. I think they showed up in your game that you ran across too, didn't they? Probably. I think yeah. Vex was one of them. Vex has always been around. Anyways, Phil runs into a caravan of halflings and his character, uh, whose name is slipping my mind at the Core. Moment, Core in the cold. Core is like, oh, it's a whole <laughs> tribe of mighty warriors and these poor halflings who are like They're tinkers. Like or like, or something. Like, They're like, what, what is he talking about? What is We're it? not warriors. Yeah, man. We, just, like, we sell stuff and we make things and we fix things. I it's, think this dude's been hitting the head a couple yeah. times. It's pretty good. Well, let's move on. Conversation. Hey, time. it's time for the conversation corner. Bing, 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 it bing, is bing. one thing. One Bob. thing. Bob, what is your one thing? So I have started a rewatch of the Owl House in anticipation of someday them finishing it with their, what, three 40, 45 minute episodes that they're supposed to throw us as a bone because Disney screwed up and canceled this thing. Still don't Boo. understand. Boo, Disney. 
Boo. Shame on you. Someone in the hierarchy at Disney said, oh, the Owl House really doesn't fit our demographic. Boo. The fuck it doesn't. <laughs> Please. It's, it's, it's an show. amazing show. Bob is a 50-year-old man who's watching this cartoon. I am. I'm a 50-year-old man who's watching totally, the Owl House. Totally fits the demographic. It's amazing. Good stuff. Yeah, it might not fit the demographic. It might not, but you know what? I really enjoy I all of those. Good show. There's, there's a based on the amount of fan art I see, I saw online before I ever saw. Like when I finally sat down to watch the show, and I'm like, just the first episode. This is where these like nine characters I see showing up all over the internet. It's got a following. I had never seen anything like I, I was oblivious, and Senda was just raving about <laughs> it. So I jumped on to look, and I'm like, oh my god, the show is amazing. So. Uh, and the voice talent is ridiculous. It is too. very good voice talent. It's very good animation too. Yes. So good very times. Good. I'm good enjoying the rewatch. Good plots and stories. There yep. are. I've only watched like seven episodes. So yeah, watch the whole thing. Watch the whole thing. It's good. Jerry. Jerry. Um, for me, uh, this weekend um, we did not have our normal Knights Black Agents game because we had a lot of people out of the area. Ox. It was Ox. This was Ox this weekend. Ox. Yeah, I, I couldn't show up. So and so we instead we decided to just sit and we went to Phil's house and Phil. Uh, got a subscription to whatever the new thing from College Humor is. Dimension Twenties. Dimension Twenties. Whatever they're. Yep, whatever that Senda they're, got him. I don't know what that. So the, we the watched a bunch of called. breaking news, and oh my god, I have not laughed that hard uh, in weeks. Bob, can you look it up? We were sitting on the couch. We had actually paused it at one point because we were all laughing so hard we were crying. Mm-hmm. Watching mm-hmm. watching multiple episodes. Um, Dropout TV. Dropout. Dropout TV. You can see some episodes of Breaking News on YouTube if you get a chance. But Thank you, Bob. Good things. But it's it's amazing. It was just it's fun to sit. To be honest, to sit with a bunch of your friends, eating Korean chicken, and then laughing so hard you're crying and can't see. It's a good release. It was a nice little, a nice it, little it was, release. It was very fun. This sounds whole, like a good night. This whole weekend was good because we we did yeah. a bunch of stuff every night, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah. In addition to breaking news, we also watched a couple of episodes of um um what's the name of the damn game show? Game Changers. Game Changers, and there was some amusing stuff in there. Um, the musical one that they did was just a masterclass in improv. Oh, that oh. one is not. That's got its own name. It's it's a spinoff from yeah. From the, it is now. This was this was the show that that they spun. Oh, it was yeah, the first it was one. the yeah. episode of yeah. Game Changers my, that they actually spun. My, my my only complaint about the musical one was that I think that they the jokes were few and far between. The songs were amazing. The talent was there, but it wasn't. I didn't laugh the entire episode. I was like, oh. I only That's laughed for clever. 25% of the episode and thought it was clever instead of laughing for 90% yeah. of the episode. Yeah. I thought it was clever and I thought it was full of ridiculous. Yeah, I was entertained. Like if you, if you like musical stuff, it's, if we'd seen that one before we saw Breaking News, I think it was like, I got to that one. I'm like, uh, Breaking News was funnier. Where's the ha ha? It's yeah, like, well, this one isn't supposed to be straight ha ha. This yeah. is. Yeah. It's yeah. a, but it was super talented. <clears throat> I mean, it just, oh, yeah. to see these people improv, if you like improv music, it is ridiculously skilled. It's still impressive, but Good breaking times. news just made me just, yeah, I, 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 I was laughing my ass Jerry has a preference. You can yes. tell what Jerry's preference is, but if you listened. Yes. <laughs> I like, I like, I like laughing. Yeah. I got that. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with it. He doesn't like the singing. He likes to laugh, laugh. Oh no. I like the singing, but not if it's supposed to, if it's supposed to be funny singing, it's gotta be funny singing. Sure. Yeah. It wasn't funny singing. It was just really good singing. But anyway, that, that I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot and it was just wonderful. It was a good night. Yep. I've been playing a video game called Solasta. Mm-hmm. Solasta is a company adventure games, I think they're called, put out using the D&D 5 rules, the 5.1 SRD for video game stuff. It is a really good adaptation 
of Interesting. the video game version of the fifth edition rules. I like it more than Baldur's Gate 3, which is based on the fifth edition rules and like licensed and produced by like a triple A game studio called Larian Studios. I'm having more fun playing Solasta than I am playing Baldur's Gate 3, and I've been I've played them both. So if you like Dungeons and Dragons and video games, it's on Steam. It's a little pricey. If I mean, if, I mean it depends on if you like playing paying for video games or not. Like it's like thirty bucks. I think it's twenty nine ninety nine. Not bad. And they keep updating it. Like there's the the monk. The um, I know some people that don't like to play pay money for video games. That's why I'm saying this. I I don't mind throwing yeah. some money down for a quality video game, but so the, support your creators, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The game, it's good. Like it's fun. I like the dialogue choices. It feels like uh the combat's really really tight and uh the ui is fantastic to play with cool i'm looking at it now it's very cool it is very cool it's it's got that Baldur's gate-esque third third person perspective top down isometric view thing going on but it uses squares instead of like the the radial movement so mm-hmm. it feels like a tactics game and i like that a lot i like tactics games so that's I me too. i played solasta it's a D based video game very cool now i want to look it up all right, Bob, want to give us some Patreon shout-outs? Yeah, let's roll this thing out the door. Very, very big thank yous to Brandon Barnes, Brandon Michael Smith, Brantley Harris, Brian King, Brian Kurtz, Chris Steele. Good job. That was done well. Cubano, Eileen Barnes, Eric Mengi, and Heptilemma. And thanks to everyone for listening to this. Man, if you enjoyed this podcast, let me tell you, you can get more content like this at misdirectedmark.com. We have over 1,300 podcast episodes sitting there from a variety of different shows. And if that isn't enough, our Patreon has hundreds of bonus episodes. And you can go to patreon.com slash MMP. And for one measly dollar, which, you know, that's nothing really, you can get all of those bonus episodes. All of them. They're just sitting there. And those 1,300 episodes include some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Bone Sword Obsidian, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experience, and the all-new Thacko with Advantage. Plus, you get back episodes of The Incredible She's a Super Geek. If that still is enough content for you, I suggest checking out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, GM Mastermind, and Master Dungeons. Then feel free to leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly using the weird old archaic old man Logan styled email at <laughs> MMP at misdirectedmark.com. It'll tell you to get off your lawn or it's lawn. Tell you to get off it's lawn. That's how that works. Then you can go to Twitter and you can either hit us up at misdirected Mark um, at Robert M. Everson at DNA Phil at Jim gerrymander or at the light one Oh one. That's me, by the way, I'll respond to you in, Bob, in Bob's defense. I think of out of, out of the four of us here, I think I'm probably the one who's the archaic one when it comes to interwebs. <laughs> I mean, you darn kids are too loud. (laughs) I still want to to call people instead of having them text me. (laughs) I would rather have a text message than a phone call. Yeah. Okay. Just not a text conversation. That's lengthy. That's then you better damn well call me. That's Jerry. Then Jerry's like, get off my lawn. But Hey, you remember that Patreon we mentioned like 30 seconds ago, 20 seconds ago, whatever. Not very long ago. Um, that thing, if you want to support us and other shows from misdirected Mark productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage will get you access to the After Show podcast, our, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, and sometimes we even do special releases, which we're, we're, we're going to get around There's to. There's actually going to be more of those coming yeah. very, very we soon. We have some plans. We do have plans. We have schemes working in the... It's almost like the Misdirected Mark Network is a living campaign that has stuff going on. Good job. Whoa, what a callback. Good job. Way to fill the 
in the role of Phil. <laughs> this has been a misdirected Mark production. This is the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out!